Guys, welcome to episode 116 of the Relax Running Podcast. Hey, if you've been around for a while, you're going to be well aware of the bloke that we've got on the show today, his hydration expert by the name of Andy Blow. He's coming at us from the UK, and Andy is, uh, he was here a little over a year ago to speak about the specific ways that we can develop a hydration plan for us as individuals. Today, we don't only want to talk about that, we want to unpack the new range of supplements, of products that they have to make sure that we're taking on board the right amount of carbohydrates, getting the right amount of sodium, getting all the good stuff that we need in order to not just recover from training, but be prepped for the races and training sessions ahead. So as always, is a super insightful bloke. He boils down the really complicated stuff and puts it in layman's terms so we can understand how it actually makes an impact on our running performance. So it really doesn't matter if you're new to running, if you're a hobby runner, if you're a world-class runner, hydration is something that is, uh, is gonna give you a huge advantage when it comes to lining up on the training track or on the race track. So make sure you take advantage of everything he tells you about today and enjoy this conversation with myself and hydration expert, the great man, Andy Blow. There we go. Now all underway. I was, uh, I've just hit record, but before we were recording, I was just complimenting on your, on your rapid hair growth. And I was saying that, um, yeah, for myself, I've got the uh, short back and sides again, a little bit of length on top because long hair didn't work for me as well as it did for you. So obviously these are going up on YouTube now. So everyone's going to get the pleasure to look at your good looking head and you, <laughs> and you knew, uh, and you knew, I think it's an enlightenment haircut. It's what happens when you are, uh, you reach some form of enlightenment, the hair gets long, but you are saying you can't commit to the beard yet because it's too shabby. Is it? Yeah, it's a patchy. If I go for the beard, it's it's extremely patchy. I always thought, you know, I'm in my forties now, and I thought as I get older, I'll probably be able to, you know, pull out a decent beard. But it's never, it's never happened. <laughs> I was going to say, I um, I'm 34, and uh, I can get I can get pretty thick in the mustache and like a, a really average goatee. It just get it gets super dark. But uh, I'm like a I've got a one and a half year old now. Nine days old. Our last podcast, one and a half now, or or nearly one and a half. Um, and his cheeks has as much hair as me. So I'm thinking, uh, yeah, the wog gene in my family didn't quite filter down to me, I don't think. <laughs> Which yeah. could be a good thing. My dad's back and shoulders are probably hairier than any man wants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's been going on, man? Oh, yeah, we've, we've been busy since we last last spoke. Um, big, big news on our side really has been, obviously, the we've launched fueling products alongside the hydration stuff so that we can complete the the picture for athletes you know it both in terms of fueling advice and and products to to give you carbohydrate energy when you're when you're training and racing so that's been a huge project um yeah other than that just we've just been you know putting one foot in front of the other really grinding away and and continuing to to build tools improve the website improve the education and the blogs grow them grow the um, newsletter yeah just just say, same same but you know trying to trying to double down really and i was having a flick through some of the blogs just before i got on here with you and um i was i was well aware of the fact that you guys had been expanding the range a little bit and i was thinking mate i i'd have i'm so glad that you're in control because when it comes to organizing like anything hydration or anything fueling anything with the word science attached to it, I would start to panic and get flustered and go, you know what, I'm not 100% sure where to start. So where do you even, uh, like, I was, I was curious to find out when it comes to like launching a new range and, and we'll get into that, uh, you know, fairly soon and, and speak about what it is that you've been tapping into. But like, where, where do you guys even start? Have you got the scientists under your roof or, or, or do you go to like an independent source or what does that process look like for you? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. We, you know, we we I suppose we start off with coming at it from two distinct angles. One is we read all the literature that's out there, you know, the scientific literature around, for example, you know, if you're looking at um, carbohydrate um, supplementation for athletes, then there is a treasure trove of like scientific literature out there, which you have to have the right sort of mindset to be able to sit there and, and chunk through it. And, and I've got a sports science background, so I can read read the papers we've also got abby and emily on the team now who are both sports scientists and they do a phenomenal job abby's particularly good at she's studying for her um, ioc diploma in sports nutrition as well as her sports science so she's she's happy and and very adept at sitting and chunking through papers writing little places for us to say and then we start to look at obviously the other thing the other thing that is useful is um organizations like for example the australian institute of sport um the the equivalent in the uk they they put out guidelines and position statements on 
on what the science recommends for athletes. And that then is where it steps from being like theoretical and lab based a little bit more into probably what's practical recommendation. So that starts to, that starts the process of then underpinning the theory of what we might, what direction we might want to be going in with a product. And then from the other side, from totally the other side, we're a team of athletes and we come at it and we, we, buy all the products that we can find on the market. We talk about ones that we've used. We talk about what's working, what's not, what we like, what we dislike, any gaps that we can see. And I suppose then you just, you just basically winnowing it down to a spec. And then mm-hmm. in our, in our case, then it's a case. I mean, like when we, we wanted to, to make an energy gel, but we didn't want to just go to a manufacturer and sort of do a off the shelf energy gel. We had a very particular, way we want it to taste and feel and all that sort of stuff as well as perform so we actually got busy and literally got busy in the kitchen and a friend of ours who who's a customer of ours and a friend who's who's in the local area has a little catering type business so um called totally wonder fuel and that's mel and she came in and literally we hand mixed you know different we, we hand mixed a load of stuff then once we'd started to refine the ingredients, then we we work with a start to work with a manufacturing partner, and and it's all that it's just all those steps, you know, to to then figuring out where you've got a compromise if you, if you've got a compromise, what you what's possible because what you can make in your kitchen at home may not be easy to replicate at scale when you might want to make a batch of a hundred thousand gels. It's different <laughs> what you can make on the stove. So we, we, we did all that and. Um, and yeah, it's just, then you just keep, keep chunking away and chunking away. But what, where we've got to on that product in particular on the gel is I think we've got, we're, we're really proud of it, you know, because we've kind of on the science side, this, the strongest bit of evidence that is out there for, for fueling for athletes really is that despite what you, what gets marketed to people, the most important thing with energy consumption during exercise is not what type of carbohydrate you have or what, whether it's a hydrogel or whether it's a this or that, it's like how much carbohydrate do you take Mm. per hour? That's the number one thing. Obviously it's got to be digestible and simple, but it's like how much do you take per hour? And all the recommendations are kind of like branded 30, 60, 90. And if you talk to some of the elite athletes these days, maybe even 100, 120 grams of carbohydrate per hour. So this kind of, this 30, 60, 90, 120 approach. Yet one thing we identified straight away is like, loads of energy gels have 22 grams or 26 grams or 20. So they're not inconvenient units when it comes to athletes mm. working out. So we thought straight away, we're going to try to make a, a gel with 30 grams of carbs in it. Because when you make a recommendation, when you read a recommendation that says you need to take 60 grams an hour. Well, if your gel has got 22 grams in it, that's a, it's not quite three. It's sort of a bit more than two though. It's just, it just didn't seem to be particularly convenient. And we thought, why don't we simplify that? You know, so that was like a, that's just a conceptual thing. And it, on the packaging, it's, you know, three zero on the front. It's pretty obvious. And then on the, on the functional side, we, we wanted to, I guess, loads of people, the standard retort from a lot of runners and, and triathletes and cyclists, like, they, they'll eat energy gels, but they don't like them. Mm. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I, don't, I don't like gels. I mean, they'll use them because it's a necessary evil. But we thought we need to work on the texture and flavor so that this is, we're not trying to make something gourmet because a lot of a lot of gel companies, they, they will make a double chocolate one or a caramel one or a raspberry pie or something like that. And we've always thought that's, I don't know, we just wanted something plain and simple and that was this is a functional food that you eat when you're exercising. So we've gone for a totally plain, you know, it's very, very, there's no flavor essentially. It's a little bit sweet because it's carbohydrate, but, and it's not syrupy. So it's not sticky, but it's also not too hard. And we've worked really, really hard to get that, that texture consistency, right. And what's been brilliant is the, the, the early feedback has been, we've, I've lost count of the number of emails we've had from people who said, I gave this a try. I hate energy gels, but mm. I gave this a try and actually this one's okay. And we yeah. take that as a huge compliment because what we're not trying to do is create something that you would take on a family picnic. You know, it's not a food that you would choose to eat above all other foods, but what we want is something you can bang down, you know, 20 of these if you're doing an ultra and not feel too sick of them. 
so yeah. we try we try to marry those those things up and i think where we've landed on that particular product is is hopefully with something really good and then alongside it just as importantly we've created a little calculator on the website so you can bang in there a little bit of information about what sport you're doing you know you're running how long are you running for what kind of intensity is that at? and it will spit out a recommendation of how many grams of carbs per hour because i've always felt that's that's a simple tool that's that's kind of largely missing a lot of people who are going to run a marathon for example they have an appreciation yeah i'm going to need to take some energy on board but like how much how many gels does that represent or whatever so we've tried to as we always do try to plug that educational gap alongside the the product yeah that was what i liked about the last conversation that i had with you i can't remember exactly what it was called but essentially it was like a little introductory quiz that anyone who you know uh i, I think it was from memory we were talking about that we're talking about like different kinds of sweaters and the and the way and the volume that people sweat and um just what particular products might be good based on that and i thought ah. Oh, even for me as a bloke who's been in and around the sport of distance running for over 20 years now, like if you had have asked, had have asked me, uh, you know, what, what do I need in order to make sure that I'm effectively fueled, effectively hydrated? I would have gone like, all right, well, just, just drink, drink, just drink a fair bit. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Make sure your weed's clear and then like you're good to go. And and that's a bloke who's been in the scene for a long time. So I'm sure um, that even my knowledge on it is is probably a, a little bit ahead of, of what the general population is. So that was nice. And uh, I think just that individual, that personalized approach was, um, it, it gave me like a little bit more confidence in, in what it was, uh, what I was actually purchasing or, or what I was actually getting from you guys. Um, and the other side of that is, I was just going to touch on what you said. It's so interesting. It's almost universal, especially amongst runners. I'm not sure if we're just a lot of bitches or whether there's something in this, but it's never an enjoyable experience for too many runners. There's not, there's not too many athletes out there. I know who have the attitude that oh, hey, I just I absolutely just love consuming gels. It's always a, it's always a, Oh, you know, I had to really get my gut used to it. I had to get used to the texture. I had to get used to that, 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 that feeling in my, in my time. And I was the same. I ran out my first marathon in 2018. I had no, I hadn't met you guys then. And I yeah. had no idea what it was I was doing. I just I just lined up with about five gels in my pocket, and uh, and wished myself the best of luck. And that was that was definitely the wrong idea because it was just painful and um, it was it was definitely not an enjoyable experience. So um, and and also just um, uh, like the the idea with carbohydrates in in running, like there's too many athletes with horror stories of of shitting their pants <laughs> halfway through a run or having to go into a into the bush to uh you know to to drop off a little bit of extra carb. So um I'm not sure what the uh cyclists seem to handle it a little bit better than a lot of runners. But um yeah there's been a few horror stories. So it sounds like uh you guys have really tried to address the um the the horror side of the industry and just smarten it up a little bit. Yeah, definitely trying to, I guess, try, yeah, trying to do those two things, trying to educate people, educate runners on, okay, well, what does the science and what does experience tell us that is a reasonable amount of carbohydrate for you to take to, to support whatever intensity and duration of performance you're trying to achieve? And then also what you've mentioned there is I think, I think it's a generalization, but runners are more likely because the general if you, if your average running training session in a week is probably going to be less than an hour for most people yes mm -hmm. even long distance runners will do longer runs but they're infrequent so a lot of runners don't eat regularly or don't take on carbs regularly during training sessions because you don't need to you don't need to do it to support short sessions when when you come to race day though especially if you're racing long and you suddenly start challenging the body with loads and loads of of energy intake that can cause digestive problems because you're just not used to it so whereas cyclists a lot of cyclists clearly they'll ride a lot of long rides where they eat regularly mm. i think it's got probably got a little bit to do with the, the mechanical movement as well you're jiggling around when you're running you've got you know you're moving up and down we know it's harder to digest stuff rather than sat relatively stable on the bike so one of the one of the things that we've started to write some plans for is like people doing a marathon or an ultra is is as, as well as doing a training program for the rest of your body you do a gut training program so you start taking in a bit more carbohydrate selectively during some of your longer and harder sessions mm -hmm. and you just turn the amount up because your digestive system can be trained. It can adapt a little bit. And that's been proven by, you know, a lot of, a lot of elite athletes who've 
who've undertaken sort of structured plans to move their carbohydrate intake up. And so that's another concept that we're just trying to help people get their heads around is that you, you basically just need to give your body a chance to avoid those kind of issues. Cause the last thing you write, the last thing you want is to be like, you're going to lose minutes if you're finding a, a port halfway around the marathon or diving in a bush when you're doing an ultra. Yeah. That's, so that's not true. Cool. It's so true, man. So do you guys, um, as a, I guess as a little bit of a start point, for anyone, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes below. I can't remember exactly the number. It was August 30th last year that our last episode went up, and, and that was more um, getting started with more of a, 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 an individualised hydration plan like I, I touched on a minute ago. But but for, for people who might not have heard you speak about this and they might not have even looked into the idea of you know effectively using carbohydrates and um, hydration to, to, I guess, complement their their training program do they where, where do you even start with something like this because obviously it's a it's a bigger broader conversation than than just um you know uh, liquids and gels and things like that obviously the diet is a is a huge part of it and i'm not sure um you know how much of how much of the focus on the website and through precision hydration you do with the the diet and stuff but do you have like a general guide to um all right if you've if you've never even set foot in this territory before um, but yeah, you're curious to sort of start making practical changes. What does that look like? Where do you, where do you start? Yeah. What, I, what I'd say is that there's to break it down, to really, really simplify it. You, when you're exercising, you, your body needs three things from a kind of nutrition hydration standpoint, you need water to replace what you're losing in your sweat. You need electrolytes, sodium particularly, to lose what's in, to replace what you're losing in that sweat. And you need some energy, usually in the form of carbs, because you're burning energy and at some point your glycogen runs out. Now, those three things are on a sliding scale that go from like, you need zero, for example, if you're obviously running a 5K or something like that, and you're just not going for long enough because your body's got enough reserves, right through to when you're doing an ultra. We've got some case studies on our website now where you know you see people drinking six or 700 milliliters of fluid an hour, taking a thousand milligrams of sodium an hour and, and eating 75 grams of carbohydrate an hour, for example, for a 20 hour run. And so we're starting to just get your head around the fact that there's these three things and your job as a runner is to start to figure out, okay, beyond a certain intensity and duration, I'm going to need to take water, salts and calories. Mm -hmm. And then, and then really it's diving into like how much of those things do you need to take? And so we've, there is a, there is a blog on our website, actually, but we, we call those things the three levers because they're the kind of three levers that you can pull to enhance your or to maintain your performance. And there's a, there's a blog on our website about that, which we can link to for your show notes, which is probably a great place to start because it kind of breaks all of that down and starts to give you an idea. And then, and then beyond that, we've got these tools, like you've talked about the online sweat test that we have is a click through guide where it asks you some questions about the type of environment you train in, how much, how sweaty you are effectively, how long you run for, and then that will spit out not an exact hydration prescription because no such thing exists, but it will spit out some guardrails for you to say, actually, Tyson, based on what you're doing here, it sounds like you may, might need X or Y type of fluid and in the, roughly this volume. And then it mm -hmm. kind of gives you tips on going out and trial and error in that. And alongside it now, we've got this carb calculator. So that will also give you an idea of how much energy to take in. And, and what that's all about is really stripping out all the all the confusing jargon and BS, really, and just giving you guardrails on fluid, sodium, carbs to go away and then play within that framework and see what works for you. And, and that, you know, it's, it's a trial and error process, really. Beyond that, you know, you want to good habits to get into, obviously, are when you turn up to a training session or a run, you need to understand that you want to be starting well hydrated, that you're starting with your energy levels sufficient for whatever you've, you've got to do. Mm -hmm. um, particularly if it's a race, you want to be like fully hydrated, fully carb loaded and that kind of thing. Um, and if you get those two things right, I'm not going to say, you know, like your day-to-day -day diet and that the day-to-day -day diet isn't something which we, like I have a lot of interest in that personally. And I really try and be careful about what I eat and that sort of thing. But, professionally we're not diet 
yeah um, we're not we're not dietitians or nutritionists what we are is we're heavily focused on and, and experienced in that exercise window like fueling the work that you're doing and hydrating the work you're doing is that is that piece and i think there's a lot of resources that we could link to that that are on our site that if someone's thinking where do I, where the hell do i start with this there's a few articles to read and and that sort of thing to to help steer them in the right direction yeah man it's uh it's nice i love the idea of the three levers it's just uh, any way you can boil down complicated science for me if you can give me three levers you've got my <laughs> you've got my attention straight away and my chances of actually absorbing what it is that you're trying to tell me is uh it's so much higher because yeah unlike you like the idea of, of trying to read through scientific papers and stuff i go you know what I'll leave that to Andy Blow. I'll let you boil it down for me, uh, translate it for me, and uh, and help me understand it. It's um yeah, it's a it's a skill that you it, like. I find it a really helpful skill when people can do that. So it's a uh, I, I was I was having a bit of a flick through through one of the emails that was going back and forth between us before we uh before we started this, and the three levers really stood out to me. But um man, just on a just on a more practical scale or, or another practical scale. Um, like, are there any really common mistakes that you see people make when it comes to hydration? Because one of the things that um, that uh, I hear get thrown around fairly casually amongst a lot of people is, you know, uh, the old classic one was eight glasses of water a day. And then there's some more complex uh, calculations as to how much water and stuff you should be having. Or my old sports doctor, man, I don't know if you heard this one before. Uh, she recommended that I had 50% sports drink and 50% water a few years ago, which I which I did for for probably six months. And I think I was drinking Staminade and I was, I had a look at the back of it one day and I thought, man, this is a, this is a lot of stuff going into my system at all times. And I didn't necessarily feel that much better for it. Um, yeah. And it just seemed like a, a fairly high ratio of water to sports drink to, to be consuming. So like, are there like uh, when it comes to just general hydration of what you should be doing on a daily basis, are there, are there certain things you should be having certain things you should be avoiding yeah, I think, you know, one of your first point about eight glasses of water a day or whatever, one of the big misconceptions is that there's any sort of simple formulaic answer you can give as to how much people need to drink because your body is your body is a you know a dynamic system that is constantly self-correcting. And if you're we we think about hydration a lot as athletes, particularly if we're training in hot weather, because obviously you perspire a lot, you lose a lot of body fluid, and that means you've got to drink quite a lot in comparison. The idea of there being a standard amount that you, that any one person needs though is is ridiculous because mm. the variance is so huge. We do we we can definitely say that everyone needs to drink every day. Um, you know, you no one can get by with zero fluid, but it's but it's it's beyond that there are very few definites you know some people who have low sweat rates who don't who don't train a lot in warm weather who don't lose a lot of fluid really don't need to drink that much more than a regular person especially if their training load isn't heavier they just they just listen to their body they drink when they're thirsty and everything works out fine right at the other end of the spectrum we work with some competitive and elite athletes who train very very hard often in hot weather for multiple hours a day and and they hydration for them is like a critical proactive part of their routine we're working with a tennis player actually at the moment who's a very very highly ranked in the world he has had he sweats like three to three and a half liters per hour during practice sessions because when he and when he told me this at first i was i was like yeah i think you're working this out wrong but then we've done <laughs> with a lot of testing we've wow. done a lot, a lot of weighing him before and after training sessions, taking into account why he's drunk. You can see it on the guy, you know, he's like, and for him, hydration is like, he has to drink liters and liters of fluid every day with tons of electrolytes, either with it or in it in order to, cause we track his body weight each morning to make sure that he's not getting progressively dehydrated over the course of a training week or a tournament. And if he's not, if he's not actively thinking about drinking almost constantly around these sessions and things, he runs into all sorts of trouble. So I think that doesn't sort of maybe that isn't helpful in one sense of answering your question that like, what, what are people, you know, what's a common thing, but I think a common misconception is that there's like an answer that, that applies broadly to everyone. Mm. You know, it, it's really individual and it's really driven by your physiology, your training habits and the environment you live in. We all know that if you move to a hot climate, your fluid intake needs to go up 
you know yeah. you, your sweat rate can easily triple for the same run if you were running over here in the uk we're talking in you know like first of december it's cold here you go out for i can go out for a run for an hour and you know i'll sweat but it's not going to be it's not going to be massive that same run in florida in august <laughs> you know i could lose maybe three to three liters myself you know so there's that there's that kind of it's got to be index linked the amount that you drink is going to somehow be reflected in the amount that you sweat and and i think what a common misconception we do definitely come across all the time is that people have in their head a lot of people who are health conscious or trying to get fit will think oh i don't drink enough and they start just just drinking loads and they start drinking loads of water if they're training hard and that can have a detrimental effect if you go too far because clearly not drinking enough leads to progressive dehydration and that can be problematic but your body's pretty good at correcting for that because it get it makes you thirsty if mm. you if you just over drink though you'll and you mentioned this just as a throwaway comment earlier but your your wee tends to go relatively clear mm. because your body's got excess fluid it's passing out and that people see that as a sign that, oh, okay, my wee needs to be clear because that means I'm well hydrated. Well, it could mean that you're relatively well hydrated, but it could also mean you're just drinking too much. Because when, you, when you're drinking lots, weeing a lot, you're flushing out a lot of electrolytes. And the amount of athletes that we see who go too far the other way and overdrink plain water because they're paranoid about getting dehydrated is not insignificant. So it's really important to remember that hydration is a balancing act and your your physiology your training habits and your environment are going to dictate what you need to do and at some point when you start to train a bit harder when the environment gets a bit hotter when you you know when, when you're losing more sweat in every day or every week that's when you need to start looking at okay probably supplementing electrolytes alongside water and drinking in in more appropriate amounts and being a bit more proactive. So to give you to give you a, a concrete example of that, if I was going to go out and do a ninety minute to two hour run in a hot in hot conditions in the summer, I would be very proactive in pre prehydrating. So something called preloading, where you take uh, you know a very strong electrolyte drink. We make one called pH fifteen hundred because it has fifteen hundred milligrams of sodium in a liter. I would drink probably half a liter of that an hour or so before I go out to try and top up my tanks so that it's going to give me a bit of extra reserves to get through that run. And I'll probably do the same again immediately after the run, because if I'm going to recover sufficiently from that, then I need to get those fluids and salts back in quickly. Mm. I could probably do that same run in cold conditions in the winter and the the need to sort of preload and rehydrate afterwards is dramatically reduced because my sweat loss is going to be so much less so it's it's like tailoring tailoring your intake to to what you're doing is probably the biggest practical tip and being being prepared to be dynamic with that yeah i've got this memory and just as you were speaking about the uh that common misconception of just making sure that you're drinking enough water and so many athletes sort of got taking it to the extreme my best mate um, over here years ago now. I remember he was uh, he was training for the Melbourne Marathon, and uh, he wasn't overly focused on on hydration in the lead up to it. And then the day before, he panicked. He's like, "Oh no, I'm running a marathon tomorrow. I, like, I better make sure I'm super hydrated." And he said he took his his hydration just just way too far. And I, I can't remember. I think it was something crazy, like four or five liters he drank the day before. And uh, yeah. he said he reckons that the the morning he woke up, he he almost felt a I don't know if this was related, but he said he almost felt a little bit fluey and he said he looked into it a little bit more and he reckons he had drank so much that so much of the essential stuff that he probably needed in his body was just flushed out. And he had a, yeah. he had a shocker of a run. He was hoping to break three hours and he ended up running nearly 340, which, you know, by a lot of people's standard is fine. But based on this guy's ability, um, sure, there's other factors that it might have been. But uh, I just thought that was interesting that hydration was such a standout point to him. And uh, yeah, he just felt like so much of what he probably needed inside him was uh, was not there. Yeah, he'd, he'd probably diluted his sodium levels down, which is a condition called hypernatremia. And, and it does ruin a lot of people's races. It, it actually, if you really take it to the extreme, it kills a few people in marathons and oh, Ironman yeah. every year. Again, there's a, there's a great, if people are interested in hypernatremia, there's a great article on our website called What is Hypernatremia and How to Avoid It? Because... 
it's one of the things that's been leveled at the sports drink industry as being at fault for in the past with this, you know, encouragement that everyone got through the nineties, early two thousands to just drink as much as you can. You need to drink, you know, it was a, a big message that was pushed, pushed by a lot of the big sports drink companies and the, and the bottled water industry and that sort of thing. And it, it's definitely, I, th- I think you get this kind of perfect storm before a race, especially if the race is long and it's in the heat where people, just go a little bit crazy. We all go a bit crazy in the week leading up to a race because you're nervous, especially if you've got a lot invested in the performance. You think it's going to be hot. So you sort of think, well, I've got to be hydrated and therefore I'll drink a bit more water. And then because you're a sort of motivated individual who doesn't do things by halves, you you really double down and you drink a lot more water. And you think, well, I've just got to, I've just got to like go for this and really drink a lot. And that that kind of pre-race nerves, the slight craziness that you get in a taper, the fact that the race is building up, you're reducing your training load so you're not sweating as much anyway. You've got loads of time sat around because you're resting. You're maybe walking around an expo with a water bottle. And before you know it, you can easily considerably overdrink and then end up in a, a pretty bad way because you dilute the sodium levels in your blood. That then causes loads, a cascade of knock-on effects. You know, you can you can absorb, you, your body cells start to absorb water and swell up. That's why people get cognitive dysfunction. It swells up your brain and it can make you feel really crappy. And, mm. and then, of course, once you start running, you start sweating, you start losing more electrolytes and it kind of gets worse and worse, basically. It just, it just spirals out of control. Yeah. So when it comes to sodium, obviously with such a big focus, what is, what is the role that sodium is playing? Cause I, um, I've been, uh, uh, I would love, I'd love you to tell me that you can tell I'm in bulk phase at the moment. Haven't really been disciplined enough to, I, I had a bet with a mate that uh, I got on the scales about a month and a half ago and I weighed 76 kilos. I don't know. Do you guys do kilos over there? do yeah 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 yeah. of course you do we just copy every we're from you so of course you do um we uh so i jumped on the scales a couple of months ago and i was 76.5 my ribs were starting to show again i thought oh my gosh like i've been here for too long in my life so i messaged a mate and i said oh if uh if i don't weigh 80 kilos by january the 31st i owe you 500 bucks so as a result i've started just to put my uh my nutrition into my fitness pal um on a daily basis and one thing that i'm always way over in is is sodium and it stands out to me and i think um i I have like this this coconut milk like quite a lot of it each day and i i think one of the basic ingredients maybe it's just to keep it shelf life a bit more or something is i think it's got a little bit of salt through it um and i'm always like oh gee like because i sort of rack my brain as to where it all came from and that's the only thing i can boil it down to um is there like is is that a concern like when it comes to sodium obviously it's playing an important role but the flip side of that is too much sodium in your is that first of all is that is that possible i'm sure it is and and second of all sort of what role is it that that sodium's playing i'm I'm guessing something to do with like muscular performance and uh you know preventing cramps and things like that yeah so sodium is is an essential electrolyte in the body and along with potassium, magnesium, calcium, and lots of other um, ions, it plays a role in lots of different things. So sodium is the main electrolyte that's in your extracellular fluid. So the fluid that's outside your cells and potassium is the main electrolyte that's inside your body's cells. So the, the electrical gradient between those two um, compartments drives things like cellular communication, the way that cells communicate, the way, so it it will have impacts on your um, nerve impulse transmission. It will have, uh, it's integral to muscle contraction and muscle relaxation. So it's really does kind of, um, the electrolytes play a load of critical roles in different parts of the body, but particularly in those, in those areas. And sodium also is involved in heavily involved in fluid balance because the, if you put more sodium into the body, the body works to keep the level of sodium in body fluids consistent, you know, homeostasis mm. in to keep it balanced. So when you take on more sodium, you will tend to hold on to more fluid slightly and vice versa which is why you see um, people who go on ketogenic diets who, who um, drop a lot of body water through losing a lot of carbohydrate. They, need, they often need to take on more salt to hydrate. It's why 
sodium is implicated in blood pressure elevation and blood and high blood pressure is a problem for a lot of people in the western world and so in in general sodium levels recommended sodium levels in the diet are quite low for for most people um the the irony is that for athletes who are sweating a lot those the general population levels for sodium recommendations could be in in some cases quite low or even too low because of the amount of sweating we do so if you sweat out you know if you do a i lose about one and a half to two grams of sodium per liter of sweat i'm a salty sweater mm-hmm. and if i so if i do a few hours of sweating in a single day i can easily sweat out let's say six or seven thousand milligrams of sodium which is like two two and a bit times the de- recommended daily amount so i'm guessing that in in um, my fitness pal the the level of sodium recommendation is pretty low which is probably sensible for most for most people because a lot of people do get too much sodium in their diet for athletes though who are training a lot there's that there's no allowance for that to move it's a bit like calories you know you you say the average the, mm. the recommended calories is for the guys 2000 or 2500 whatever it is yeah. well if you run for if you're doing a three-hour run in that day you know you ain't going to squeak by on 2000 calories you know? <laughs> yeah i have that for breakfast yeah exactly <laughs> so, so it needs to be dynamic so i think sodium recommendations in general are low because most people relatively overconsume sodium a good a, a cohort a subset of athletes particularly those that are training in the heat or have high sweat rates or high sodium loss the recommendations can be actually too low so and you're if you're you know if your kidneys are functioning are healthy and functioning well a bit of extra sodium will just get excreted out oh, in your yeah. urine everything should be fine and um you know, we've written an article on this actually all about the sodium and the blood pressure hypothesis and that sort of thing, which if someone, if people want to delve into that in a bit more detail, it's probably worth a read, but it's, it's kind of one of those answers where it's not black and white, you know, it's, it's pretty gray in terms Mm. of some people probably would benefit from reducing sodium in their diet. Some people would probably benefit from increasing sodium in their diet. The, one of the biggest problems that we've seen with a few athletes over the years is people who are extremely health conscious who train really hard and and really try to maximize their diet in every way eat very you know what they call clean you know very low processed foods they read the general health advice about reducing sodium it's it's a bit like that situation we talked about with drinking more water it's like they'll Mm. reduce sodium and because they're motivated they'll like virtually try to eliminate sodium from the diet which is hard to do but if you're motivated you can get it very low then you get a load of knock-on negative effects associated with low sodium. So like any, any essential nutrient, there's, you can eat too little of it, mm-hmm. you can eat too much of it. Where, where that, what that range is depends a little bit on you as an individual. So athletes training really hard will, will require more sodium or salt than those that are not. And it's about, you know, figuring out where you sit in general, in the Western world, a lot of people eat too much sodium, but I would say the subset of people that we're talking with, you know, the kind of people who are doing a lot of training are unlikely to be necessarily in that group unless their unless their diet is really, really heavy on processed foods. Yeah. It's interesting, man. I've so many images just flashed through my mind. And I was thinking, um, I, I could embarrass myself here, but I've got the editing tool. So if I'm too far wrong, I can just edit it out. <laughs> but I was going to ask you, isn't it? Um, I reckon uh, I was in the United States uh, years ago now, and we were on a, a, a wet road and they were sprinkling what I think was salt across the road. And just as you're explaining the um, the sodium absor- absorbing the liquid, I thought, oh, there's a nice little analogy for for that just sort of works for me. So I, I, essentially, is that what's happening? The sodium is is it is it actually absorbing the water into itself or is it just sort of blanking it inside the cell so it's absorbed into the cell and then the the sodium is sort of responsible for its release or what 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 it is with sodium balance because so when you eat some salt it will go into your stomach into your gut and then be absorbed across the across the gut wall into the bloodstream now if because the level of so so it's it dissolves into your blood basically the plasma in your blood is quite a salty liquid the fluid then follows that or moves with it from the intestine into the into the the blood because your body's trying to maintain 
homeostasis it's trying to maintain a set concentration of sodium in the blood which is about 140 millimoles per liter of the units if you have more salt without so if you eat salty peanuts at the bar mm -hmm. then you'll start to get thirsty a few minutes later which is obviously why they put them there because what your uh, body's that's, that's that's then that is the body's way of saying right salt levels are rising we need to dilute that with some fluid so let's become thirsty you know so then you drink this the fluid gets absorbed and it dilutes it back down again so that's one part of the sodium regulation thing and then on the other side your kidneys are very sensitive to sodium so if they detect that you've got too much on board you will pee out a lot of sodium so you, you won't be able to tell this particularly without testing it but you when you go for a pee you would pee out more sodium if you do the opposite, if you restrict sodium in your diet, your kidneys get very good at conserving it. So when you pee, you'll have very little sodium in there. Mm. So that's kind of how it is. So it's, it's dissolved into your body fluids because your body fluids need to be salty for them to function. Mm -hmm. And then your body is working hard the whole time. It's like, like having a thermostat that's working really hard to like keep the temperature in the room the same. Your body's got mechanisms to excrete and retain sodium and also to drive you to drive your brain to do things like when because when salty food tastes really really good that can often be a sign especially if you've been training hard as an athlete that actually maybe your sodium levels are getting low so your body's you know gives you a craving for sodium and salt in order to bring it back up again mm. yeah far out that's interesting I'm, <clears throat> I'm still impressed i'd heard that peanuts at the bar story before but i've forgotten about it. i thought the sneaky little buggers like i always just think it's a generous act but there are is trying to get us to drink more of their beer, bloody <laughs> sneaky thing. Well, Andy, I'm, um, I know like the at, at the risk of um, uh, uh, painting a picture of a more generalised thing, because I know like if there's one thing that precision hydration is about, it's a it's a really individualised approach. But just for curiosity's sake, like are there are there certain practices that you have in in your own day? Um, with the knowledge that you have that you know is just good uh, a good habit to get into so i watch a couple of youtubers and there's this one guy he swears by when he wakes up he squeezes half a lemon into like half a liter of water and he'll just he'll pretty much smash that straight away just as a as a little bit of a kickstart to his body other people i've got apple cider vinegar in my in my cupboard which i um, I probably couldn't tell you exactly what it does, um, but I always just feel healthy for drinking it because <laughs> whenever I see something floating in my water, I think this has to be good. Like whatever that is, it's got to be doing my body a favor. But, but, yeah. <laughs> but for yourself, like, um, like, do you have any set routines in your day from, you know, do you wake up, have a coffee or is it that lemon water or? Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a creature of habit when it comes to that. I'll, I'll tend to get up and drink a glass of water and a cup of coffee first thing in the morning because that's a habit i'm like a lot of the world i'm probably a you know, certified caffeine addict to a lesser or greater extent yeah for I'm me Tyson. me too yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so so but for me in 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 the last few years you know i used to drink a lot more coffee when i was younger mm. i definitely find that despite the fact there's a lot of evidence suggests that caffeinated drinks don't have a net dehydrating effect i think there's an individual variance in that and, and i certainly find that two possibly three cups of coffee a day for me all of those in the morning is a way a way better habit i'm in the danger zone if i'm drinking coffee after like 12 one o'clock you know i i do if i'm maybe really tired really jet lagged but it's infrequent and then mm. what i'll tend to do for hydration is obviously if i'm training if my training load is hard I'll make sure that I'm drinking electrolyte drinks either after a training session or in the build-up. If it's a training session later in the day, I'll have one an hour or so before so that I'm prehydrating effectively. Um, the rest of the time for me, it's it's drinking water and a lot of, you know, I drink a, a lot of um, tea, but like a non-caffeinated, like this is a mint tea, but it could be any sort of stuff like that. Cause I find that that's, hydrating and satisfying and you know i don't mind how, if i've got that on my desk i'll drink the whole thing and that helps me keep topped up but i don't try to do anything you know the, all this stuff about yeah squeezing a lemon in or having this thing or that thing. they're 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 not i wouldn't say they're bad habits but i don't think they're special either mm. i think what you do is just you know limiting highly sugary drinks 
being you know keeping a cap on your caffeine especially if you're someone who's sensitive to it and and obviously alcohol is a diuretic and you know generally not not an ideal um it's not ideal from a hydration status point of view like keeping a lid on those but other than that it's listening to your body uh, if you if you're concerned that you are a lot of people say to me i think i don't know if i'm getting dehydrated all the time if you if you're concerned about measuring your hydration then I always think that the best way to do that is to weigh yourself in the morning each day mm-hmm. and look for any fluctuations, especially around training, because you, and, and if you couple that with looking at the color of your pee, the first time you pee in the morning, um, not the pee later in the day, because then you've had caffeine or you've had it fluid and you, your body's, you know, it doesn't tell you a lot, but when you get up in the morning, if you weigh yourself and you're, let's say you're a kilo or two down on where you were the day before, if you're a bit thirsty when you wake up and your pee is quite dark, that is a slam dunk that you're probably, you probably are a bit dehydrated. Mm-hmm. So if you want to exercise, then you're going to need to work on rehydrating before you go and do anything too taxing. If your body weight's pretty normal, you know, your pee is a normal kind of straw color or clear color, and you're not feeling excessively thirsty. That's a good indication that actually, you know, you're normally hydrated and you build up a picture of that. And in between those two, you've obviously got, you could be a little bit down or a little bit thirsty or a little bit dark. And it's, that's the scale. Those three things, if you measure those, will tell you about how probably how proactive you want to be in your hydration that day. And I think if you, if you monitor those, you get a good feel factor for your, your own instincts and how, yeah. how you get on. I don't know if I'm just making this up completely, but I've noticed that it could be one of those things where the first time I noticed, it, I thought, hang on, that's interesting. And then each time I do it, I, I, I've noticed the same thing. So, um, and uh, feel free to give me an education here. Cause I, I think I probably deserve one, but the sun's just started to come out over here in, in uh, Victoria and Australia at the moment. Um, Jesse and I, since I last spoke to you, we we live a couple of hundred meters from the ocean. Today, I thought, all right, I'm going to get my uh, I'm going to get my summer body into shape, and I, I went over and I just went for an ocean swim. I was probably out there for about 45 minutes, and I hadn't I hadn't drank any more water than I usually would. Um, it wasn't that long, but I got out of the water and I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm busting to go to the toilet. And I was thinking, is there is there any evidence or is there any like absorption of of um, of liquid through your skin. Not that I'm trying to encourage people to get your, your liquids through just going for a swim, but I was just fascinated to ask you. I thought I, I've got to take a mental note to, to ask Andy this tonight. Like, is there any um like is there any hydration factor just coming through your skin when you've when you've been swimming or when you've been out in water for a long time? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. Um, I think that the what you're driving at there maybe is you know, you've been in the water and you've been for a swim and then you've not drunk anything more, but you get out and you, you really need to pee. And that's very common. And it's got nothing to do at all with absorption of water through the skin. Cause that doesn't, that doesn't happen. Um, what it's to do with is it's called um, cold water diuresis. And what, what that means is the way that your, so the way that your kidneys work, the way that they balance fluid in the body is they make you pee when you've got more fluid on board and they stop you from peeing when your fluid levels are dropping. And one of the ways they do that is the, they, there are sensors, there are receptors in your vascular system that measure the blood volume and pressure. And they're in the, cent, they're in the central part of your body. So if you imagine when you go in, when you go in the ocean, even if the ocean is reasonably you know, tolerably warm, it's still yeah. cold, a lot colder than the air. Yeah, so it was cold you, today as well. Yeah, it was actually cold. So what you get is you get vasoconstriction, which is where the, the blood vessels towards the periphery of your body and towards the skin shut down. So all the blood moves into the center. So that's to keep your core body temperature up and keep you warm. And as such, your circulating volume, the volume of blood that's circulating through the center of the body increases. So you get this like increase in body um, body. Uh, effectively, your body feels like you've got more fluid on board because that central circulation is pumped up yeah and what it makes then that triggers the hormones which make you want to pee because you're reducing that volume the same thing happens with and can happen not maybe quite as severely but it happens with cold air exposure so you often get it cyclists will say that you know you go out riding on a cold day 
and within a few miles you need to stop and have a pee and you pee really clear and it's yeah. just because the same things happen so it's if you google you know the this and we and again we've got an article that explains it a little bit but cold water diuresis is probably the explanation for that yeah. it's very it's very common it's when you when you expose yourself to cold water that you need a you need to pee even if you're not excessively hydrated yeah, interesting. Yeah, because that's one thing I noticed. Once I was out of the water, it wasn't just like, all right, I need to go to the toilet. It was, it was crystal clear. I was thinking, mate, yeah. I've, I've got some secret. I don't, I don't think I need a drink anymore. I think I just need yeah. to go for a swim for half an hour each day. But now that's, uh, that's really interesting, man, dude. I won't, I won't hold you too much longer because I, uh, I know we've almost been gone for around an hour. But um, is there any, is there any way that that people who uh, are brand new here can can get a bit of an idea? Obviously, you've got your, um, your, your sweat test. Um, a whole heap of resources over at uh, over at precisionhydration.com. Um, is is there anything else people need to know about what you what you guys are doing or, or what they need to be doing uh, more effectively when it comes to the hydration? Yeah, I think that one of the best things people can do if they want to learn a bit more is um, sign up to our newsletter mailing list. Mm-hmm. It's it's really you know we've got Chris and Dave on our team who put the newsletter together with the sports science team every week. It's very performance focused. It's about it's all of our best articles. A lot of the stu- a lot of stuff that we write ourselves or that our ambassadors and athletes write about improving your performance from a hydration, nutrition, fueling, and other perspectives. So that's a, that's a good thing to do on the website. The other thing is we offer free one to one video calls. So if you want to have a call with one of the sports science team here, no strings attached. It's definitely not a sales pitch. You know, you can come on, you can book a twenty minute slot with us ask us any questions you've got about your hydration, fueling, all that sort of stuff. And we, we love, you know, connecting with people one-to-one because it, like, like you said, we're, the heart of the business is individualizing stuff for people. Mm. So you can use tools on the website. You can read all the blogs and get some background information. But if, if that still leads to having very individual questions or you want to run through your hydration approach for an ultra or a marathon or whatever, then hit us up. That's on the, that's on the footer of our website, book a call with a sweat expert and you can, you can book in and have a chat. So we, we'd love to hear from people. No, awesome, man. Well, hey, it's been, uh, it's been good to sit down with you again. I know it's been over a year, but uh, you're welcome on here far more than that. So uh, anytime you've got something new or something exciting, just give me a, uh, a message and, and we'll do it again. But man, good to see you. Good to see you looking good, looking like a Viking. And uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you know the big pumped up version. Of Tyson. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm going to increase the sodium and I'm going to increase the liquids, and it could just be a cheat day on the on the 30th of January. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, I'll uh, I'll cut that off there. But uh, hey, that was great. Thanks, thanks again, no, man. Thanks. No, thanks for the opportunity.